Is it a good thing or a bad thing to translate the Torah into other languages? In this week's parasha, Hashem tells Moshe to do so. Yet we know that when the sages wanted to translate the Torah into Greek for Talmai the king, that was a big problem. And then, of course, consider how much translation of Torah there is into other languages today. Good or bad? The Pasuk tells us that when the Jewish people were on the edge of the Yadin River, Moshe told them that they should recall the Torah and Ba'er Hetev expounded very well. Chazal explained to us what does it mean, Ba'er Hetev? It means that they had to translate the Torah into 70 languages. And similarly, Chazal comment on Moshe's instruction to the Jewish people before they went into where he tells them when you cross the Yadin River he tells them because you should record all the words of the Torah on stones well translated and again the Gemara tells us that means 70 languages sounds like it's a good thing to translate the Torah into other languages yet we find that elsewhere the Gemara tells us there is a story where there were five sages who wrote a translation into Greek of the Torah later on the Gemara talks about other possibilities or other stories that happened perhaps on a different occasion with 70 or even 72 sages which the Rebbe will mention later and the day that they translated the Torah into Greek was as difficult as the day the eagle was made. We're going to look at what does it mean to be difficult like the day the eagle was made and other scenarios which also are referred to in a similar way. Why, says the Gemara? Because it wasn't possible to do a, a proper uh, translation of the Torah into Greek. So that doesn't seem to make sense because the fact that Moshe translated the Torah into 70 languages when he taught the Jewish people and not only that the fact that Moshe instructed the Jews that when they enter Eretz Yisrael they should write the Torah etch the Torah on stone in 70 languages implies that it's obviously a good and advantageous thing to translate the Torah if that's true, why then would it be such a bad or difficult thing to have the Torah translated into Greek? Not just difficult, but an extreme difficult, like the day the eagle was made. And what's also really strange is the reason that Masech Sefrim gives what was so bad about the translation because it wasn't possible to do a proper job of translating the Torah into Greek. Well, why not? Long before these sages appeared before Talmai the king, the Torah was already translated into 70 languages and that seems to have been a good translation. So what's so bad and difficult about the translation of the Torah into Greek? But Doichak Loimot would be a stretch to suggest that maybe Masechus Sofrim was saying, well, there's something specifically about Greek. Greek is a bad language. And translating the Torah into Greek, that's the problem. As opposed to the other 69 of the 70 languages which don't pose the same problem. Now that would be a real stretch to say that there's something uniquely bad about translating the Torah into Greek for four reasons. Number one, Aleph. Practically, logically, Greek was one of the 70 languages that Moshe explained the Torah in and that the Jews etched the Torah onto stone in. Can't be that bad. On the other hand, the way that the Masechah Sofrim generically says, Torah couldn't be properly translated, Mashma sounds like that's not a Greek issue, but rather, that sounds like any translation of the Torah will never do justice, not specifically Greek. So, no, we can't explain that the big issue over here is that it was Greek. In fact, to the contrary, Greek's a good language for translating Torah. Gimel. To the contrary, we have found in other sources, when it comes to translating the Torah into any other language, Greek has an advantage over all languages. Where do we see that? 
Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel suggests it's adopted as the practical aloha. There was a moratorium that you were not allowed to translate the Tanakh into any other language except for Greek. So let's not suggest that the problem with the Talmai was that they translated the Torah into Greek and that's a bad language for translating the Torah. Actually, apparently it's a good language. Not only is it a good language, it is the best language. Look what the Talmud Yerushalmi says. They did a thorough research and discovered the only language that translates Lashon HaKodesh Torah language properly is Greek. So, why are we so perturbed now by the fact that these sages translated the Torah into Greek for Talmai? And what really focuses our attention on this question is the language that was used over there, that the day of the translation of the Torah into Greek was as bad and difficult as the day the Egel was made, one of the worst events in Jewish history. What's Masech Sofrim saying? You couldn't do a proper justice to the translation in these other languages, including Greek. Okay, we get that, so it's not going to be the perfect translation. Does that make it into something which is so dramatically wrong and bad that it's like the day the eagle was made? That's really intriguing and possibly even bizarre. Now to try and get our heads around this, we're going to look at another story in the Gemara Shabbos where the Gemara uses the same description. It was a day as difficult as the day the eagle was made about a scenario that also doesn't seem to be that dramatically bad. We also find this reference to a day being as difficult as the day the eagle was made in Masech Shabbos, where there was a conflict between Shimon, uh, between Shammai and Hillel. Shammai ordered the doors of the yeshiva closed. There happened to be a majority of people in the room who was who were Shammai favorable people, and therefore, the result was Hillel, who was the Nasi, the leading terror authority of the community at the time, sat humbly and almost bound in front of Shammai as if he was just an ordinary student and there were rulings that were made in favor of Shammai says the Gemara that day was as difficult for the Jewish people as the day the eagle was made wow really just because Hillel didn't get to be the one deciding the halacha for a single day so we really need to understand this. How is it possible that that day should be so difficult for the Jewish nation to the extent that we can compare it to the day the eagle was made? How? Now Rashi offers an explanation which actually seems to go against the explanation. Rashi says... Why was it so difficult? Kasha, Nasi, because Hillel was the Nasi. Okay, that makes sense. So the Nasi, the leading Torah authority of the time, is demoted temporarily. The Anvasan, and he was a tremendously humble person. Okay, Venimovan, that doesn't make sense. The first point Rashi makes, which is that Hillel was the Nasi, who would explain why the, uh, the, um, Displacement of Hillel would be such a difficult thing. Taking Hillel off his rank as Nasi and relegating him to be an ordinary student in front of Shammai, yes, that's difficult. But the second point Rashi makes, to the contrary, that's not what makes it difficult. That actually kind of mitigates the story. Hillel could handle it. He could, he could get his head around being demoted temporarily and being a student of because he was somebody of such tremendous humility. Why does Rashi make that part of the reason that it's a difficult day? Actually, that makes it a less difficult day. So yes, Rashi, someone to explain Rashi's words as that really what Rashi is saying is that there was disrespect towards Hillel who deserved respect not only because he was a Nasi, his position, but also because he was a humble person, his character. And based on that, we could say we get why this is a day that is as difficult as the day the eagle was made. Because also the day the eagle was made, there was a 
a, a disrespect shown to the leader of the time. There, at that time, the Jewish people rejected Moshe. Who was also the Nasi, the ultimate leader of the Jewish people at the time. And he was the most humble person. And the reason that they disgraced Moshe was because they said, we want this God-like calf to replace him and be our leader. Okay, possibly an explanation, but not a good enough explanation. Because, Here's the common denominator. The people rejected Hillel or disgraced Hillel like they disgraced Moshe. We see the correlation. Still, What made the day of the fashioning of the eagle such a bad day, wasn't because they rejected Moshe, even though that's a really serious thing. But what really made it a bad day is because it was a rejection of Hashem, making an idol. How do you compare the demoting of Hillel for a day to the rejection of Hashem by making an idol? So let's focus on the words over here. We don't say that the issue was as difficult as the eagle, but rather the day the eagle was made. That's significant. The whole answer hinges on this. Look at the language that was used both in the Bryce and Masecha Sofrim about the translation of the Torah into Greek and the Gemara Shabbos about Hillel being demoted. That that was as difficult as the day on which the eagle was made. They don't say it is as bad as making an eagle or that it was a sin as severe as the sin of the eagle or anything like that. The focus is on the day. So day talks about chronology, talks about where this appears on the timeline. Why is that significant? Well, if you know the chronology, you know the day the Jews served the Egel Azahov was the day after they made it. As the Pasuk tells us really clearly, on the day that they fashioned the Egel, in fact, once they had completed it, Aaron said, okay, we're going to deal with this and celebrate a festival of Hashem tomorrow. And we know We know that his intention was to defer their serving the eagle because because Aaron is clear that by tomorrow Moshe will come off the mountain and they'll realize their mistake. They'll never serve the eagle and everything will be fine. But because of that, what happened is the direct result is the actual sin of serving the Eglazov happened the following day, as the Pasuk tells us, they got up the next day and they brought sacrifices in front of this Eglazov. So that, if that's the case, the day the Egel was made means the day that led to a later event that was going to be hugely problematic. With that in mind, when Masechah Sofrim or the Gemara Shabbos tells us that this is a day as difficult as the day when the eagle was made, what we mean to say is, we're highlighting the fact that today is not the bad day in and of itself. In other words, today is the day when the eagle is made, which isn't the full problem. Because even after the eagle has been made, there's still a chance that everything will turn out right, as Aaron proposed and hoped. That tomorrow we'll get our heads right and serve Hashem. So the problem today of making the eagle is not yet a fully blown problem. Tomorrow is when it's going to become a problem. The problem with this day of making the eagle is the focus. Instead of being focused on doing what Hashem wants, you're focused on making an eagle which is contrary to what Hashem wants. What's happening on the day of making the eagle is it's preparing the framework building the stage for what would be a terrible break in commitment to Hashem tomorrow. Now that we know that Yom Shanasah Eagle means something goes wrong today, but you're only going to see the effects on another later date, 
Same thing happens with the translation of the Torah into Greek. So the day they wrote the Torah in Greek, the Maseches Sefrim says, There's a problem over here. The translation of the Torah is not going to be ideal. So what's going to happen is the word-for-word word, verbatim translation is going to fail. And the way that things are stated in Hebrew when translated to Greek might come out in a different chronological order. That's what we mean when we say the Torah cannot be properly translated. That's happening on the day the translation occurs. The problem that that will spawn is going to help happen later. When you have a poor translation, the problem is down the line, when people read that translation, they'll misunderstand the content, and that's going to be problematic. So, when a non-Jewish person, in this case Talmai the king, later reads the Torah from his Greek translation, as best as it can be translated, he could still misunderstand the message and the context of what's being said in a variety of places in the Torah. And he could even understand it in a way that is contrary to the true meaning. That's why we find in the second story of the translation of the Torah, the so-called Septuagint. When 72 sages locked up in different quarters had to translate the Torah, they inspired each of them to have one perspective on how they should alter the translations. As a result of which they made 13 alterations to the translation. Which means they did not translate the Torah in the most accurate, direct way to avoid problems. Now we get what the Bryce and Masech Sefrim is trying to tell us. The day of translating the Torah into Greek is as difficult as the day of making the Egel. The whole thing of what's so difficult about the day the eagle was made is because it means that on another subsequent day there would be idolatry. Likewise, the day the Torah is translated into Greek is a difficult day for the Jewish people. Why? Not because of what's happening today. The problem is that this means there's now a copy of the Torah available for people to misread and misunderstand and come out with the opposite intention of what the Torah wants. That's why we compare that day to the day the eagle was made, not the day the eagle was served. Similarly, with Hillel being so-called bound in front of Shammai. Okay, the fact that on that particular day they rendered halachic decisions in favor of Shammai's view is not the end of the world. Because the end of the story is effectively that Hillel defers to Shammai in that particular scenario. Which indicates that the halachic rulings of the day, although they follow Shammai, which is an aberration and unusual, was actually the correct halacha. What's the problem? Not what happened on that day. The real difficulty and challenge over here is This might now open the door for people to say in future scenarios, maybe the halacha should follow Beis Shammai's opinion, which is that would go against the principle, the broad halachic principle, which is if you rule in favor of Beis Shammai when there is an opinion of Beis Hillel, that is a rejected form of how to learn. So the concern is not that day. That day is fine. Hillel agrees that this is the halacha. The concern is going forward. What's happening on the day is not the threat. It's what people are going to extrapolate from that and how they'll behave in the future because of it.
And that explains why Rashi says, you know what made this day so difficult? The fact that Hillel is the Nasi and so humble. Rashi is in fact telling us what's so difficult about the scenario that played out in the yeshiva that day. There are two reasons why the halacha would follow Hillel's opinion or base Hillel's opinion. And that is Nasi on the one hand because of his position in the community because of his character. Generally speaking, the Nasi is the person who renders halachic decisions. And you follow the halacha that the Nasi proposes even if the head of the Beistin has a different opinion. In this scenario of the Hillel so-called being bound in front of Shammai, the opposite is happening. Shammai is the head of the Beistin and we're now ruling in favor of his view, overriding the Nasi's view. That shouldn't happen. That's point number one. The second point is the, humor, the humble nature of Hillel. There's a very intriguing insight that the Gemara gives us why, generally speaking, the halachas were typically in favor of base Hillel. Says the Gemara, why would the halacha typically follow base Hillel? Because they were people who were very gracious and people who were willing to be humbled. So therefore, the halacha follows them. So what have we got so far? So far, what we've explained is that these are scenarios where the day itself, even though it's an uncomfortable situation, translating the Torah into Greek or having the halacha follow Shammai instead of Hillel, that's not ideal. But the real issue is not what happens on the day. It's what may happen as a result of it in the future. Mistranslations and misunderstandings of the Torah or misrendering of halacha in the future. So for that reason, we say it's difficult like the day the eagle was made, which isn't the real problem. The real problem is the following day when they serve it. However, if we are making this common denominator, this thread between these three things and using that language, it is precise. It's not just because we're saying similar scenarios. Everything in Torah is so absolutely precise. Therefore, Moven, you can understand. The fact that we correlate two things together. The translation of the Torah into Greek. In the day that Hilo was bound as a student in front of Shammai. That we correlate both of those with the day that the eagle was made. It's not simply because what's common to all three scenarios is something happening in the now that's going to have a negative impact in the future. And that's similar to the day the eagle was made, which is going to lead to idolatry in the future. And there's got to be a deeper layer to this, that there's a correlation between these two scenarios and the making of the eagle and everything that it represents. What is that? The explanation is this. While on the surface, the eagle does appear to be this radical rejection of God and embracing of idolatry. Actually, all the commentaries explain that it's more subtle than that. The motivation of the Jews was not that they wanted to have an idol. They just wanted a leader. They believed Moshe wasn't returning. They say that clearly in the Pasuk. Without a Moshe, we need another leader. This is who we're going to choose. Look at what the Pasuk says. We don't know what's happened to Moshe. We need a replacement. What do they mean by a replacement? Not just somebody who's going to be their GPS and say, this is where you've got to go. What the Jews wanted was an intercessor who would allow them access to Hashem and allow access of Hashem's message to them. That's an idea they didn't invent. It was introduced by Hashem himself. Because, look what they say. They say, the Moshe who took us out of Egypt is absent. We need to replace him. That means the way that the Abishter designed it wasn't that he swooped down in a visible fashion and took the Jews out of Egypt. Rather, Hashem appointed an individual called Moshe to be the Redeemer, to represent him to Paroi and to the Jewish people and take the Jews out of Egypt. So they understand this is how Hashem wants to run the system, that there should be some kind of a tangible intercessor between us and Hashem. Why is that? Because in order for a 
physical human Jewish person. should be connected to Hashem. So that he can serve Hashem absolutely with every fiber of his soul. Including his intellect and his feelings. In other words, to have a real meaningful connection. He cannot, none of us can relate to a completely aloof, intangible, infinite God. We need godliness to translate into something relatable in our world. To the extent that we can fulfill the mitzvah, the Rambam tells us, which is to know, not just to believe that there is a God. Over and above the mitzvah to believe. Belief. I have to believe that there's a God that is completely beyond comprehension. And I have a mitzvah to know that there is a God in a comprehensible way. We need godliness to be relatable. That's what the Eibishter wants. There's an opportunity for godliness to be revealed and manifest in a human being. In such a way, as Al-Tarebbe describes, when a person learns Torah, you become completely bound with the godliness of the Torah in an unbelievable bond. Eventually, a person can even get to the point of such connection to Hashem that you become like Moshe, a godly person. When you have such a godly person, you can see that person, you can hear that person speak, that creates a bond, a bridge of connection for the rest of us who are not at that level to be able to connect to God. So now there's no Moshe playing that role. So the people who made the eagle thought, okay, it must be because we're graduating now to bring godliness even further down into the world, lower than the human experience. Let's now create a system whereby not only is godliness tangible, relatable, and something we can feel as people, but something tangible and relatable that the world itself can absorb. With all of the elements and aspects of the world, you want to bring godliness further down into the world, then you need to place a so-called intercessor that belongs to a lower part of the world. Not just a human, even lower than a human, an animal. They actually had a good motivation. Let's bring godliness even more into the physicality of our world. And they weren't completely off the mark. Because soon after this, Abishta gives a very similar instruction. Abishta says, make me a physical space, not a human space, a place made out of gold, silver, wood, etc. And I will dwell in that place. And the core elements of this Mishkan that we were supposed to make included golden forms. And Aaron with two Kruvim, three-dimensional forms on top of them. Which caused the manifestation of divine presence in our world. As the Pasuk says, That through the Kruvim, that's where Hashem channels His message and His voice to Moshe. So they're not completely off the mark over here. They're a little bit ahead of themselves. Let's make something, fashion a three-dimensional golden element which will bring godliness into the physicality of this world what's their motivation bring hashem more into the world so this segues into something the Medrash says that how did they land up with of all the things creating a golden calf it's because at the time of the giving of the Torah when there was great divine revelation because Hashem was present in the space so they were able to visualize the Jews at the time were able to see the so-called divine chariot which has very various elements and aspects to it some of which represent themselves as beings, human, uh, an eagle, a lion, an ox. Says the Medrash, they picked off one of the symbols that is associated with the Merkava, the manifestation of an ox, which is a, represent, a representation of a certain spiritual energy associated with the Merkava. And, and they said, okay, let's, let's capture that. Let's capture that deep, profound spiritual concept and turn it into something tangible and three-dimensional. So there's an ox on the Merkava. Let's create a calf down here on earth. 
And even once they had made the eagle before they started to worship it, Aaron was still comfortable to say, tomorrow could be a yontav that is dedicated to Hashem. Aaron said, you know, we could still turn this into something really positive. Because Moshe will descend from the mountain and then you'll see that you're misguided with your eagle and you'll get back to where you're supposed to be because your motivation was bringing godliness into the world. So Moshe will show you that your method is wrong and then you'll get back on board. And that's actually what happened. If they hadn't woken up early that next morning, earlier than usual, because we're told that the Satan woke them up with great enthusiasm so that they would have the opportunity to do the Avera, had they not woken up especially early, they wouldn't have sinned. To the contrary, Moshe would have destroyed the eagle with the full consent and buy-in of the entire Jewish nation. And nobody would have worshipped it. And the net result of that would be there'd be greater consciousness of the fact that there's only a milvado. It would be clear that there's no alternative, no representation, no model that can replace Hashem. And the only intercessor you could have between yourselves and Hashem is a very developed human being who will not disrupt but will enhance our connection. And how does Moshe become Moshe? Not because the people chose to have a Moshe, but because Hashem designed to have a Moshe. So this could have really gone well. The whole objective was bring godliness into the world. If they would have been redirected appropriately, they would have brought more godliness into the world and a more a firm perspective on Enoid Melvada, that there's nothing else, but it didn't happen that way. Unfortunately, the way it played out was the next day, they, they were a group of Jewish people who served the eagle. And the result was the exact opposite of what Aaron had hoped for. Aaron wanted this to be the greatest declaration of Hashem's oneness and instead there were people who used it to reject Hashem completely. Okay, so with that information, we now know the day the eagle was made represents more than just simply creating the possibility of a problem in the future. Now we understand what's so difficult about the day the eagle was made, not even necessarily the day the eagle was served, the minute they proposed or created the possibility of an alternative, something else we're going to serve. Even though their intention was noble. Let's bring more godliness into the world. But the moment they associate that godliness with something independent, something that wasn't sanctioned or instructed by Hashem, the way that that goes, that minor deflection from purpose can land up way way off the mark with pro, uh, uh, with outright idolatry the possibility of entertaining a second authority or power in the world and the reason is because what they did was not instructed by Hashem and therefore it lacked the connection to Hashem but if you have something even if it looks almost identical but it comes from Hashem's instruction. Like, for example, the golden ark and the golden kruvim in the Mishkan, also three-dimensional figurines. Well, if it's instructed by Hashem, there's no possibility of misreading what it is and thinking it's another power, another force to contend with. You recognize that it is purely just Hashem's channeling of energy. So if that happens, you don't see any value independently in the Aaron or the Kruvim. And you'll never misunderstand that there are two possible authorities or power bases in life. And that's actually what the Medrash is saying, right? That they pulled down the symbol off the Merkava into the golden calf. Claimer meaning to say, As long as the as long as there is the face of an ox as part of the divine throne and chariot, you're never going to misunderstand that it has any authority or power of its own. 
you see it purely as a means of revealing godliness in the world. But when you take it off that Merkava, you translate it into your own lowly experiences. You no longer see it as part of the godly space. Well, the reason it's called a Merkava chariot is to indicate that it has no force or mind of its own. It is completely surrendered to where and how the driver wants it to move. So you're now removing this Shosh of Merkava from being in that state of complete Bittal to Hashem. Well, that could go really pear-shaped all the way to becoming the sin of an Egel Azahav, rejection of Hashem, Avoid Zara. So what's the theme? Their intention is good. Bring godliness down into the world. But it's not aligned with what Hashem instructed them to do. Therefore, they see their project as being somewhat independent of Hashem himself. And that's where the wheels come off. We'll see a similar thing happen with the translation of the Torah into Greek. That's something similar that happens when you translate the Torah into Greek. And the, the, the Brisa tells us that that's a difficult day for the Jewish people, like the day that the eagle was made. What's the day the eagle was made? The possibility of believing that there are alternatives to the Ebeshtachasvishon. When Moshe instructs the nation to translate the Torah into all 70 languages. So when Moshe is translating the Torah, when he's telling us to translate the Torah on the stones, in all of the languages. Well, first of all, it's not just a translation. It's a translation that accompanies the original in the original holy language. And it wasn't something that they volunteered to do. It was a direct instruction for Hashem. From Hashem, with that alignment and with that surrender to what Abishta wants, you can't do anything in that translation that would be misaligned from what Hashem wants. Because when you would read one of these 70 translations, you would feel palpably in that translation Hashem's instruction and Hashem's truth. While reading the Torah in whichever language it might be, you would feel the sensitivity, the holiness, the meaning of the Torah as it was in Hashem's original language. But when you have a scenario where, why are we translating the Torah now? Because a king... A, a, a king from the so-called Greek Empire has told us to do so. And it's not something instructed by Hashem. Well, that's a different story. Something that is not instructed by Hashem could go pear-shaped, like the invention of making a, an eagle with all the best intentions. The famous example of one of the things that the sages chose to change is instead of saying when it's translated into Greek, instead of understanding that that talks about the fact that there's only an Abishta and only the Abishta creates there's a possibility that in Greek it could be misunderstood that Boratius is some kind of other deity that created Elikim. And therefore it's got to be changed. Why does it have to be changed? Because if you don't have the koyach of Hashem instructing you to do this translation, the translation can go awry. And the same would apply to any of the other pasukim that the sages changed when they translated for Talmai. In each scenario, you've got the problem of what? Well, if we don't, change around the translation, they'll get the completely wrong idea. It will go contrary to what the Torah is all about. So, we see that now in the day the eagle was made, possibility of Avodah You see it in a more subtle way, the day that they translate the Torah into Greek, possibility of people thinking thoughts of Avodah In an even more subtle way within the Torah itself, you'll see this in the debate between Beisil and Beishamai where we favor Beishamai.
Why is it that Hillel and Shammai or Beis Hillel and Beis Shammai had these major arguments about halacha? Well, we know that Shammai and the people who were attracted to his yeshiva are people whose neshamas are rooted in the world of gevura, of din, of strictness. Whereas Hillel and the people who gravitated to his yeshiva, their souls are rooted in the world of compassion and kindness. Which explains why, generally speaking, Beit Shammai rules more strictly and Beit Hillel more accepting, more leniently. What's the difference between living in the world of Gevura or Chesed? Well, one of the ways that we can distinguish between the two realities of the Chesed or the Gevura reality is similar to the Medrash that speaks about whether or not the world should have been created, that there was a debate between the attribute of truth and the attribute of kindness. Chesed Omar Yivra. Chesed argued that the world should be created because good things would happen. Whereas truth said the world shouldn't be created because bad things would happen. Claimer, to put it differently, Strictly speaking, from a din perspective, the world does not deserve to exist. Whereas from a compassionate perspective, of course the world has value and deserves to exist. Now once the world does exist, what that translates into, once there is a world, will consistently look from the perspective of how this world needs to be dismantled and surrendered to godliness. Whereas the perspective of kindness will say, the world is here, let's draw more godliness into the world. We can then take the distinction between the chesed or gvura perspectives one level deeper. When you look at the world from the din perspective, why is it that strict judgment says really the world shouldn't be here? Because strict judgment suspects the world of rebellion or at least independence from Hashem. says, look at this world. They think they really exist. They think they're independent of Hashem. So we've got to deal with these people. We've got to break them down, show them who's boss, dismantle their, their egos. Whereas if you look from the chesed perspective, where your objective is, let's infuse this world with godliness. Well, then the feeling is a completely different feeling. The world doesn't feel distinct from God. The world is an expression of God. At least in potential. And we have the, the opportunity to reveal that in a tangible way. And therefore, from the perspective of let's work with the world, let's infuse the world with godliness, let's make the world a better place. If that's true, if there's an halachic decision, now we have to decide, are we going to be more strict and make this not such an accessible mitzvah, or are we going to be more lenient and make it a very accessible mitzvah? Beishamai says, stay away. The, least, the, the less we engage with the world, the better it is for our spiritual progress. Because the world is a place that is troubled. And Hillel says, no, let's make this mutter, let's make this accessible. So we can bring another part of the world into the realm of godliness. So therefore, in the most subtle way we can identify, because Midas Adin takes the perspective that the world could feel itself divorced from godliness, Midas Adin could produce a sense of the two realities over here. And you've got to fight your way against those who believe they're independent of God. Because it's not, from the Midas Adin perspective, clear that the world and God are absolutely one. Whereas, as long as Hillel is leading and the Chesed is informing our reality, we'll constantly feel more connected to Hashem. So there's the problem. Too much Gevura rulings in the world could reinforce the message that the world is fundamentally separate from Hashem, which is the most subtle perspective of Avodah Zorah. 
That's what the Gemara Shabbos means when it says that day Hillel was bound in front of Shammai like a student. And that was so difficult for the Jewish people. It was akin to the day that the Me'egel was made. Because that's a day where the Halacha is now confirmed in Shammai's favor. Sorry. Which implies that what's happening now? The chesed is being overrun by the gevura. Well, now we're concerned. This might re- repeat in the future. And if we keep paskening in line with Beis Shammai, we might keep reinforcing the possibility that people believe that there is an alternative to Hashem. Which we then are going to have to fight against. That's difficult for the Jewish people, like the day the eagle was made, creates the possibility of entertaining an alternative. So what is the common denominator that affects these days and the concern we have around these days? But let's see how the stories actually played out. The day they translated the turn to Greek, ooh. Where's this going to go? It could turn into something negative. And the day that Hillel had to defer to Shammai's opinions, ooh, this might turn into something, diff- into something negative. And therefore, those are days which are difficult, like the day that eagle was made. Because we're worried what's going to happen. It might affect some kind of breakaway from absolute oneness of Hashem. That's not what happened in practice. Neither story actually produced what we were worried about. In which sense, these two stories are different to the day of the eagle. The eagle was a well-founded concern because the next day they served idolatry. These two were unfounded concerns because the translation of the Torah into Greek did not precipitate some kind of rejection of Hashem. And Shammai did not become the leading authority in the future, which could have created the most subtle form of believing the world to be separate from Hashem. In fact, to the contrary. Look at the day that Egel was made. Aaron was hopeful. Aaron believed that there was still the possibility of transforming the next day into a celebration and festival for God. Which means simply, Aaron knew that if we could flip this, if we could use the opportunity appropriately, it would translate into a yomtiv. It would become a day where the Jews would serve Hashem and in a greater measure, because as we mentioned before, that would be a complete rejection of any alternative to Hashem and it would be in the best way possible. It didn't happen in the time of the Eagle. It did happen, in a sense, when the Torah was translated into Greek. When those 72 sages translated the Torah for Talmud, with modifications, as we mentioned, certain edits to avoid misunderstandings, they changed certain things, 13 different things. Starting off, of course, with the clarity of statement, Elohim, Eibisha creates everything, there are no alternatives. Look what happens over here. The belief and knowledge of one God and the oneness of God is now available to the non-Jewish world as well. It's in their language. It actually had an impact on Halacha. What's Halacha? We already saw it from Rabbi Shimon ben Gamaliel. The only language that is now suitable for a translation of the Torah and would actually still have the same um, Halachic relevance as a Sefer Torah is ancient Greek. You'd be allowed to read from such a Sefer Torah with contaminated hands like a Sefer Torah would. Not only did we get the message of godliness through to the non-Jewish world, we also trans- transformed and uplifted their language to becoming a pseudo-holy language. And a similar thing happens as a result of that one day that Shammai had the upper hand over Hillel. Not only did we not realize our fear that maybe going forward in the future people would always consistently rule in favor of Shammai and Beis Shammai, 
Actually, the result of this going forward was a submission of not only that in the future we rule like Beis Hillel, but there are even certain times where Beis Shammai are more lenient than Beis Hillel. That's an amazing thing. Any time that a tzaddik makes a statement, it is eternal. And now we're going to look at Aaron's statement. If any statement of a tzaddik is eternal, how much more so a statement that is recorded in the eternal Torah? From which we can understand, even when Aaron said about the eagle, tomorrow will be a yomtev in front of Hashem. And what date was he referring to? He was talking about what today is a fast day for us in the beginning of the three weeks of mourning. We can still be confident that Aaron's words will be fulfilled. will become a day of yomtev. The Arizal says, embedded in Aaron's words are a promise. That Aaron was promising us that there will come a time where the Abishra will transform Shivasabatamas into a Yomtev. In other words, tomorrow will be a Yomtev, it's just a delayed tomorrow. How's that going to happen? Well, the reason Shavasabatamas would become a Yamtiv is embedded in the story of Shavasabatamas. The Jews did Tshuva for the Egel Azov. Ashi is Galali Asid Lava. The impact of that Tshuva will be revealed in the future. And at that time, the world is going to be transformed in such a radical way that godliness will be revealed not only in the mundane and neutral parts of the world which we could elevate through Torah and mitzvahs but even in the parts that are absolutely toxic that are pure clipper the negativity and the sparks of holiness within that negativity will all be elevated and released and transformed into positive and you know where you see this playing out in practice? The fact that we now have Torah translated into so many languages, something that hadn't happened previously in history. Particularly the fact that Hasidus is translated into so many languages. As we know, the Friedrich Rebbe worked tirelessly to translate the works of Hasidus into so many languages. So that, that there would be access of learning Torah generally and specifically Hasidus for people who are not yet in a position to understand Lashon HaKodesh or Yiddish. And by doing so, we have now elevated and refined the 70 languages of the world. Not only because they are linked to or side by side with things that are in the uh, original Lashon HaKodesh, but even when you look at the English, French, Russian, Spanish translation of a text, and then you have not only the language that is accessible but the content has been made accessible by doing this by translating Torah generally and Hasidus specifically into all the various languages we're refining not only the languages but the nations that they represent that all hastens the promise of the Baal Shem Tov, or Mashiach to the Baal Shem Tov, that when the teachings of Chassidus are spread, then Mashiach will come. And then we'll see the fulfillment of the Pasuk, that all of the nations will be converted to speak a single language of commitment to Hashem. As the Rambam says, these difficult days will be converted into celebratory days and joyous days. We'll see the absolute conclusion of this period of mourning of the three weeks. That the day that rounds off the three weeks Tisha B'av, which is the most challenging and difficult and sad day of the year, will be translated into a massive Yom Tov for the coming of Mashiach now.